Welcome to Ivy League Murders. My name is Sarah Alcorn. I'm a Harvard graduate and a private investigator. And my name is Laura Rodriguez McDonald. I'm a University of Miami graduate, longtime crime aficionado, and part of a fourth generation NYPD family. Laura and I don't always agree on everything. With her NYPD roots and my criminal defense background, sometimes we find ourselves on opposite sides of the jury. We do share a mutual passion for crime solving, and we both grew up in Cambridge, steps away from Harvard University. On Ivy League Murders, we discuss cases where the best of the best make the worst decisions. We look at people who seemingly have it all and throw it all away. Hey, Laura. Murder. If our listeners want to support our podcast, what can they do? You can go to our website at clovercrestmedia.com where we have merchandise, a donate button, and all of the books we talk about. We also can be found at buymeacoffee.com and we would love any input or suggestions from our listeners. And we can be reached by email at ivyleaguemurders at gmail.com. And very importantly, if you enjoy the podcast, please hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star review. We really appreciate all the support we've gotten so far. So (laughs) welcome back to Ivy League Murders. We have a very special edition for you today. My name is Sarah. And I'm Laura. It's not often on Ivy League Murders that Sarah and I get updates on cold cases. This week, we heard of new developments on the cold case of William Bradley Bishop, a fugitive who's been missing for 50 years. And we wanted to bring the news right to you, our listeners. We thought we had heard the end of the Bishop case after covering it in our first season. So when dramatic new information came to light, we were transfixed. As a baby, Kathy Gilchrist was adopted into a wonderful family, the Sidebottoms. Like many adopted people, Gilchrist was curious about her birth parents. At 63, she began a genealogical journey and through an exhaustive DNA search found out that she is the biological daughter of William Bradley Bishop. It started when Gilchrist spit into a tube and sent it off to 23andMe, the genomics and biotech company that tests your DNA sample and reports back what it finds. It can help users find blood relatives, links to their family tree, and learn insights about potential genetic variants in their overall health. Gilchrist has always known she was adopted. It was only as she approached retirement a few years ago that she decided to try and learn more. She was ill-prepared for the information that would soon find her. So who was William Bradley Bishop? And for those who haven't listened to our first season and our episode on Bishop, Bishop was a Yale graduate and former foreign service officer. He worked in espionage and he spoke five languages. In 1976, after losing a promotion, Bishop methodically planned and murdered his wife, three sons and mother. He then drove the bodies to a remote area in North Carolina, placed them in a hole, put sand over them and burned them. Except for a brief sighting in Jacksonville, North Carolina later that day, Bishop was never seen again. This is a case that has eluded authorities for over 50 years. Laura, when we first heard about the DNA breakthrough in this case, we were very excited to report on this. We never imagined that we would have the honor of speaking to Kathy Gilchrist with new information. Welcome, Kathy. Welcome, Kathy. This is amazing. Thank you. Thank you. It it is pretty amazing. I will agree with that. 
Wow. I mean, where to even start? Again, we would love to start. How, how did this incredible journey begin for you? Actually, I said I was getting ready to retire from teaching. I had known all my life that I was an adopted child. And, and actually, I was adopted by wonderful, wonderful people who had great sense of humor. I was obviously quite different from in my personality, in my behavior, from the rest of my family, from my very quiet, hardworking parents. I was very outgoing. I was convinced as a child that I was going to replace Shirley Temple. Okay. And so my, <laughs> my antics, I think, were a little bit scary for my parents at first. But then in their typical manner, they said, well, she is who she is and we might as well just go with it because it's not going to do us any good to try to hold her back. But knowing that no one in my extended family was ever involved in performing arts or major academic pursuits, I was always encouraged as a kid to be who I was. I, I was adopted all my life. I never really seriously searched for birth parents because I had great parents. And honestly, in the back of my mind, I just had this kind of feeling that maybe I might find out something I don't want to know. Kind of funny how that, how that works, because I did. In any case, I was getting ready to retire. I had worked in theater. I had worked as an actress, as a director, as a theater educator. And I was finishing up my teaching career as an English teacher. I thought, well, what am I going to do now? And those DNA tests had just come around and this was 2017. And I thought, you know, I guess I'll take a DNA test and I'll just go with whatever it is that I find. I'm old enough and mature enough to deal with it now. And I did. And the test results came back telling me all kinds of ethnic information. But there was also a little box that you could check off if you had been an adopted child and you were interested in being connected to your biological family. So I did. In the meantime, there was a little bit of information I already knew about my birth parents. My birth mother had apparently been at Chatterbox and she reported all kinds of information to the adoption agency. She provided a first name for my birth father and a huge description and gave me a clue about having an older sister and a younger sister. I found out later that the birth father that she talked about was not the birth father who actually was linked to my family tree. Actually, she had had three children that she surrendered for adoption in the 50s. I was the middle child and she managed to keep that a secret from my biological siblings until I came along. So that was the first discovery we made. I was put in touch through the message board at Ancestry with a half-sister. She knew nothing about me, but because I was able to tell her the name of our older sister, she finally came around. It was very traumatic for that I bet. Yeah, really traumatic. And I really embrace them. I'm fiercely protective of their identity because they really rallied around me and accepted the fact that their mother had kept this secret for a long time mm -hmm. and that we were truly all related. It took a while. It took over a year to put the family tree all together. I didn't do it. I met a biological third cousin whose passion in life is genealogy. 
And her name is Susan, is that? Correct? Her name is Susan, Susan Tupper Gilmore. Yes, uh, yes. Can you, can you describe for our listeners the moment, because <laughs> you describe it in your book, and your book is very well done. It is, it's not <laughs> modeling you. at all. It's very funny. And we'll put um, the link up to your book. Absolutely. Well, thank you. Describe to our listeners the moment when Susan sort of says, ba-boom, I found your dad. Uh, oh, oh yeah. Great moment. Um, it is Susan's favorite story. By this time, a lot of time had passed. Susan had looked and looked and looked. And the funny thing is, is that we had the wrong guy for a while there. And actually, she had to go back to the drawing board. It's not funny, but it's humorous that she figured it out. And this poor man had passed away. His son consented to do a DNA test. And he said, wow, you know, maybe you're my sister. And and, (laughs) And the whole family embraced me. And that was all great. And then come to find out once he did a DNA test, that wasn't the guy. But can I just stop you for one second? Yeah, absolutely. Susan, by trade, is a genealogist. Uh, She's not a professional genealogist. She's not a professional. Okay, it's her avocation. She's retired. She spends a huge amount of time at it. And she's been very successful uniting people. So it was her favorite thing to do. So she went back to the drawing board and she just sifted through all, I keep saying she shook the leaves on the tree until she finally came up with common names. And she called me one day and she said, okay, you're sitting down. And I said, yeah, I'm driving my car. And she says, nah, well, I have something to tell you, but maybe you should be home first. And I said, nah, come on. I know you have something important to tell me and I'm not going to wait till I get home. So tell me. And she says, okay, I really found your father. I found your birth father. And so I said to him in my typical outgoing way, I said, so is he someone famous? And uh, she she said, well, yeah. And I said, well, cool. Well, who is it? She says, I'm just going to give you his name. I'll let you Google him. I said, okay, okay. So she said, William Bradford Bishop. And I had been teaching American literature and I knew that William Bradford I'm a Mayflower descendant. (laughs) And she says, well, yeah, but nah, there's more to it than that. So I was meeting some friends for lunch that day, but I got there early and I Googled William Bradford Bishop and up popped his FBI wanted poster. I mean, who finds their father on an FBI wanted poster, especially at the age of over 80? My default emotion is is humor. So I just started laughing and I'm really not a callous person. And it's just awful what he did. And I mean, I can't even go there to think about poor half siblings of mine that he murdered. But at the time, I got to say, it struck me as humorous (laughs) because, of course, my father's a murderer. I had the most wholesome parents a girl could ever could ever have. And my father's a murderer. You would and not right just a murderer. My, we call it gallows humor. Yes. Yeah. 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 The Irish, you know, you find yeah. wit in every, even in tragedy. I think that's part of. Exactly. I mean, my parents used to, mean. my adoptive parents used to say things to me like, I don't know who your birth parents were. I mean, maybe it was Ethel and Julius Rosenberg. I mean, I don't know, but. <laughs> My mother, my my adoptive mom, was really into all of this. And unfortunately, she passed away before I found it out. But I said, oh, man, would she be laughing? Would she be laughing? What he did was horrible. But at the moment, it struck me as funny. What I said to Susan is, wow, I'm going to have the best story at the lunch table. I can't wait to tell my friends. <laughs> uh, you absolutely <laughs> Which it, do. 
What's interesting, though, so this takes you into researching William Bradford mm -hmm. Bishop. So tell mm -hmm. us, we covered briefly, and we have a, a larger episode. You were not a crime head. You're not a mur you No, not, not at no, all. Not yeah, at so all. So Laura and I, of course, are. So we're <laughs> baffled by people who aren't. So tell our listeners, for people who don't know who your father mm -hmm. was, mm -hmm. you researched him and obviously went down a rabbit I, hole. I, I did. I so did. Yeah, what I discovered was a very troubled man, a very intelligent man. Uh, very he graduated from Yale, highly intelligent, with a lot of ambition and a lot of drive, very much like myself. And he, it appears, I mean, there's so many theories about him, but my take on the story is that he was very frustrated. He had lived in Europe for many years with his young family, was very happy there. He was enjoying life as a young diplomat, but then the deal is that when you're given an assignment in the United States, you've reached the pinnacle of your career. So he got that call. He was back in the United States and he had, and again, I apologize to people who do this for a living, but he had a, a desk job that just sounded tedious and boring. It was an important job. What I learned about him was that he was very active and he held uh, several master's degrees that he had obtained at different times in his life. He was inquisitive, curious. Not particularly social because there's not a lot of people who say they were his friends, but he obviously was someone who was leading an interesting life and really motivated by that. So one day he, some rumors say that he was up for a promotion and he didn't get it and that set him off. I do know from medical records that he was suffering from depression and insomnia. I did as well at exactly the same age, so I can relate to what insomnia does to a person, but he purchased a mallet, I guess, or the equipment to bludgeon someone to death and propane and gasoline at a hardware store. And he went home and he bludgeoned his wife and all three of his sons, who, by the way, resemble me quite a bit. And then when his mother returned from walking the dog, she lived with them too. He murdered her too. Their bodies in a station wagon. And he drove them to this very secluded spot in North Carolina. And he set the bodies on fire. Interestingly enough, I am going up to meet. I've been contacted by the family of the forest ranger who discovered the bodies. That's amazing. They told me that he was haunted his entire life, as was his wife and even his daughter, who was just an infant when all of this happened. But they're anxious for me up there so they can show me, you know, where that site was. Very remote. But they say this had to be premeditated because how would anyone even know to go up this dirt right. road and do this? But the forest ranger found the bodies. Meanwhile, Brad Bishop kind of took his time and ended up in Elkmont, Tennessee. His station wagon was found there and he left, that's kind of chilling, he left in the console of the car a, a prescription bottle of antipressants, which I interpret as his way of saying, ha, I pulled this off, you figured out who did it, you'll never find me.
I think I remember hearing a little bit about it because it was a big deal in the 70s. There's so many coincidences in this story. And this is one that just really sends chills up my spine. The weekend that my birth father was committing this horrible, horrible, heinous crime, I had been encouraged by my hometown chamber of commerce to enter the Miss Stoughton pageant. And it really wasn't something that was a really cool thing to do in 1976. But I was a student at Boston University at the School for the Arts. I was a scholarship student. They knew I had been involved in performing arts. So here I was doing probably the most wholesome thing a girl could do. (laughs) And my father is murdering the rest of his family. Amazing. That's just weird. That's just weird. Then I took it from there and there's so much about him. And as a matter of fact, there's a brand new twist that just happened today. Suddenly, because of the notoriety of this story, suddenly some of my cousins have emerged. I didn't even know. No one on Brad Bishop's side of the family has taken an ancestry test for obvious reasons. Who wants to say (laughs) I share DNA with this man, but they found me. And it's really interesting. I had a chat with a second cousin just today and she remembers, she says, I will tell you, she says, I was quite a bit younger than Brad, but she says, when I learned the word narcissist, I said, that's my cousin, Brad. That's just kind of interesting. Had she known him or no? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because her her mother was actually Brad's first cousin. And so she and grandmother, Lobelia, who was Brad's mother, Lobelia was her very favorite great aunt and had been her mother's favorite. They know the whole story. She actually said, wow, finding out about you is the bright spot now in what was a really, really dark time in our lives. I was just thinking um, that, I mean, out of so much darkness kind of in this story, is, it's really nice that you can give some people some peace, like the family of the ranger. Exactly, exactly. Um, just your brightness and you have this incredible energy is, is kind of, can bring, bring that to well, people. Absolutely. Maybe a little too much energy, but I got that from my father as well. But I, wa- I wanted to ask, got a lot I, wanted from him. To, I wanted to ask you, what does it do to you? I've researched this and read about finding, and I have experience with friends who have found birth parents and been disappointed by what they find, and it's really kind of disrupted their kind of identity. And you basically found out the worst thing anyone can find out. And I mean, how does that kind of (laughs) shift, shift your whole identity and yourself when you find out basically your father was a family annihilator, and this is what you found out? Right. Well, the first thing I really need to do is tell anyone that I encountered that I do not have homicidal tendencies. Okay. I <laughs> I was a public school teacher for years and I never wanted to hurt anyone. Well, I might have, but I never acted on it in any case. <laughs> you know, I'm older. I'm 63 years old now. And I mentioned that in my book, had I made this discovery when I was 20, it would have impacted me a great deal. And it probably would have changed the trajectory of my life. At my age, I had children of my own. 
I've heard a lot of stories. I worked as a CASA volunteer with foster children. I have a huge, huge, very strong upbringing. The nurturing that that I received, though, that's that's my mom and dad. You know, it's yeah. it's interesting to hear where the genes came from. And truly, every adopted child has their own feelings about about their past. Fortunately, I was aware of my adoption through my entire life, and I never thought of it as a negative thing. If anything, I was a little obnoxious about telling other children that I was chosen, uh, but their parents were stuck with them. Um, <laughs> there was never any problem with my self-esteem. <laughs> I love it. I love but it. I'm fortunate that way. Luckily I, for me, it's okay. I love your description in your book. I just picture you as this really extroverted type of person in this family of very New Englandy introvert, kind of mm-hmm. you know, humble, mm-hmm. like, what do we do with this kid? That's exactly of, right. In terms of nature nurture, you do in your book, make some parallels between yourself and Bradley mm-hmm. Bishop in terms of certain personality traits. And obviously oh, not the yeah. homicidal, we'll put that aside. Uh, no. <laughs> but what, when you find out more about him, there are things that ring a bell for you. And some of them are good and some of them are bad, but can you Absolutely. talk about that a bit? The depression, The insomnia, yeah, that's tough to deal with. Fortunately, I grew up in an age when there's nothing embarrassing about that. I actually do admire him for seeking help with that. It obviously wasn't enough help, you know, to try to get that under control. But there's a couple of incidents in the book that I describe where I know how his mind works <laughs> because sadly, mine does too. Many times I was told by my adoptive parents, you know, if you spent as much time actually doing the work as you do trying to figure out a way not to do the work. Because <laughs> <laughs> yes. I know I talk about getting busted with a science fair experiment that I faked. Yes. I admit it. But then I had to go back and retrace everything just to save face. And I see that that's exactly what Brad Bishop would have done. And that sometimes as a theater director, I was once told in a workshop that you create more chaos than you need. (laughs) Why do you do that? I thought about that for lots and lots of years. And I said, yeah, I do that. And I think I do that because I enjoy the challenge of getting the chaos solved And then Mm -hmm. I can pat myself on the back for it. Well, Brad Bishop, he created chaos. Not only did he murder, which was just awful and and, and a horrible thing to do, but then, I mean, the whole trail of chaos. And then he patted himself on the back at the end and said, see, I did it. And now find me. I really identified with that. Um, You know, when when Sarah and I were actually doing this story, DNA came up a lot. And I I kept asking, you know, Mm -hmm. Sarah and I kept saying, why aren't they doing DNA in Europe? And uh, he could have other children. And uh, I'm just curious what Mm -hmm. your thoughts Mm -hmm. thoughts are on, you know, some people think he died in the Smokies. Uh, And and I'll add to that, Laura, if you don't mind. I think it's very, this is such an unusual case because like we saw in the Golden State Killer, they traced familial DNA and found him that way. This is totally the opposite. You're innocently giving <laughs> you know, 23 and me your right. DNA saying, hey, look, I'm trying to find my family. And it turns out to be 
this guy, you know. But I'm saying, I mean, this could, exactly. this, could this be used as as a tool to find him? Uh, could you find maybe, is it, you know, you could you could possibly find siblings in Europe and we could find out where he's been all this mm -hmm. time. I mean, do, mm -hmm. do, you, do you or do the police see that as maybe a way to, to track him down? Um, it's interesting. I, I did contact the FBI right away because I'm a good citizen and I thought, you know, they've got files on him. And I said, hey, this is what I, I have reason to believe that this is true. And I also contacted the uh, Montgomery County um, Sheriff's Department right away. Um, and they did follow through. But what what I asked for is, do you think that my DNA can be compared to DNA from the crime scene just to verify, you know, just as the last, <laughs> um, the missing link? And um, they've, they've only responded in a sort of vague way that, oh, that might not be legally feasible. And I, and I, I'll be with you, I don't understand that because it seems to me that it would be helpful. Um, there have been, I did speak with, I spoke with a reporter um, who did an in-depth report for the Today Show about 10 years and uh, he couldn't wait to get in touch with me and, and share his theories with me. He believes, as I believe, that he, that, 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 Brad Bishop went to Europe because I, I think that I would be easy for him. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, the the thing about D and, and, and he asked, do you think he has any children? I said, well, looking into what I know about Brad Bishop, that, that wouldn't surprise me a bit. I'm sure he has other children. Um, but you know what? DNA is not a big deal in Europe as much. It, it's not because of the... Um, because of the geopolitical structure of Europe, um, there's so much intermingling between cultures, you know, because all those countries are so small and we are a nation of immigrants. So that's why our fascination in America is far, far greater than their interest in Europe. Also, you know, there's, there's still, they still have different attitudes about, you know, sexual habits and things like that. So, yeah, I think I could be of help. I was actually told by uh, someone from the sheriff's office that I really am of no help to them in finding Brad Bishop. Um, I tend to disagree. I think that maybe th th there are other relatives. Um, there are possibly other children, but... Um, you know, as I said, there's so many, there's so many moving parts to this story and it's still developing as I'm discovering other people. Um, I was given the phone number of, no, I wasn't, just given the name and I think I'll, I'll probably be able to be in touch with uh, Brad Bishop's college roommate um, wow. Wow. to be able to shed some light on his, his behaviors, you know? Now, I'm curious because when did you write, you wrote this book, um, when did you, I, I'm just curious because this story really just broke, correct? But you had previously- It just broke. The book. It, it, the book was just published 
Um, yeah, that, well, you know what? I started working. On, I started working on the story in bits and pieces just because friends kept saying, uh, "You need to write this down," because they were starting to lose track <laughs> of this information. And um, I'm one of those people that you know, like in the back of my mind, if I'm going to start something. I didn't have a good reason. I had retired. I had no good reason not to do it. So um, it was, I, I'm not a very sedentary person, so it's hard for me to sit down, but I wrote it. I wrote bits and pieces. And then basically the pandemic is what um, got the book finished because I had time. And I thought, you know what? Hey, let me see if I can finish a book. Um Editing, you know, took months and months and months, but uh, I've, I've pretty much fleshed it out uh, by, I really, I really started bearing down on it as soon as the pandemic started and it got published in November. So and, why do you, so it is a, a relatively in, new story. But really within the last week, the story's just exploded. And I'm wondering what, what made it all of a sudden? Um, first of all, this, uh, the beginning of March uh, marked the 45th anniversary of the murders. Okay. So it's timely. It was 45 years ago. Um, and, you know, as I say, a local, uh, a local reporter here in Wilmington, North Carolina, um, drove down and interviewed me um, about, you know, the story. She broke it. And I'm I'm really I'm really proud for her because she did a great job and um, she edited that interview. She, she zoomed with her story together and had it on the five o'clock news. So the news the news hit and then it went viral. Um, other stations picked it. Um, as I say, you know, there's been there's been a lot of press on William Redford Bishop. Um, so he's a cult figure in, you know, in some among, among, it kind of is, I'm a little yeah. bit off once, um, but I'm, yeah, yeah, it's, um, uh, yeah, I don't way as, as you know, and, um, yeah, fortunately I just got your number because I, um, when you said you had messaged me, I said, no, but what I had done is because so many people are getting in touch with me. I missed a whole bunch of messages that were like behind the other ones. Oh, so that's why I finally found you. I said, well, I'm so sorry. Um, I try to respond to people. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be on um, Good Morning Australia, <laughs> which is so weird because we're taping that at, at 5.50 tonight, but it will already be Tuesday morning in Australia. And that just makes my head hurt to think about how that works. <laughs> can, yeah. I, can I ask you, I mean, I know, you know, I'm sure when you think of your father, you think of your adoptive father because he was your father. But, but Right, you know, right. He was wonderful. Right. And but have you come to some type of a uh, peace with it? I mean, you seem to be, you know, you don't seem to be bitter or angry. So, you know, have you come to some type of a peace no. with this where you just, you know, that you're able to just kind of accept who, who he was as your father, but uh, mm -hmm. kind of let go of it a bit? Oh, oh, yeah. I'm able to remain detached 
be well from the whole story. I'm fascinated by, you know, looking at pictures, looking at our physical relationship. And um, interestingly, the cousin I spoke with today who was, um, you know, who grew up with Brad said, oh, yeah, you have his eyes, you have his chin, you have his mouth. Um, And uh, they will, you know, if they pop up, they are now taking ancestry DNA tests. And um, if the DNA matches, they will pop up and then it will become conclusive. Um, So I'm hoping that that happens. I Um, I really do. The other the other interesting thing is. uh, Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I'm so I'm so sorry. We're we're just so excited. We don't mean to, like, step on what you're saying, but this is just. (laughs) No, it's okay. It's okay. It is. It's it's so thrilling. And your attitude is so phenomenal. It is. I think this is just like the first domino to fall. I think that once I think other people are going to start taking DNA tests and this could I think this potentially could lead to, uh, you know, he may have he may be passed away by now, but I think this could be really lead to finding out where he lived his life all those years. I agree. I agree. But, and, and I, you may be the key to that. It, and I have to could. say, I, I, I do see a family resemblance definitely between, you mm-hmm. know, between mm-hmm. you, 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 you pointed out in your book that you have certain facial features that are similar and I see it definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, those those half brothers, little, little, you know, round faced, blonde haired, straight blonde haired yeah. boys. They look just they look just like me. You know, it's um, it's scary. But the, the most important thing I think about DNA is these tests. Um, you do need to be careful because, you know, that old adage, be careful what you look for. Um, I know you've probably heard as many stories as I have about people discovering, you know, their fathers are not who they thought they were and family secrets are, um, you know, revealed. And, and that's, that's emotional. That's traumatic. It's not just, you know, this story is not just all about me. It's, it's about other people who are involved. And once again, I'm dragging, you know, I, I, I did experience some guilt a lot of guilt about dragging these half siblings of mine into this story because they didn't ask <laughs> they didn't right. ask to be dragged into it they didn't ask to have to try to you know wrap their heads around what and, their mother was doing so and, and, i, I try to be compassionate about it that was one of the questions that i had for you your birth mother louise you, you, she never kind of knew that you were on this quest or did she, did she find she, you never got to kind of talk to her. About no, no. You, that must be frustrating. Mm-mm. No, because, you, she, because say. it was closed. That was a, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I accepted it. I accepted it because she gave me life and she gave me to an adoption agency and I had a wonderful childhood. So you thank her. That was my, I always said that the only thing I really wanted from my birth mother was to tell her thank you. Um, and, and she did that. It's not my, it's not my job to judge her. Um, it was a different time, a different place, a different era, 1957. 
Ugh, you know, a lot of things were going on. So, um, uh, and she never, ever gave any inkling. Wow, I, you're, I'm sorry. You're I, very, very remarkable. I, I, it, absolutely. Have you have you heard any other anecdotes about their relationship at all? Was it a casual fling? Was it a, you know, uh, do, do, have you heard? Do you know? Nobody knows about how, um, how they the, got together. I, you know, I suspect it was just a drunken frat party. Um, that's all I can imagine. Um, because when I talked to uh, Michael Austin, who had done some, you know, some work, he said he interviewed Brad's, um, Brad's roommate. And, um, you know, at that time, they didn't know anything about him fathering a child and brad really wasn't into the dating scene um brad had a long-term relationship with the woman he finally married his hometown right. girlfriend uh but i mean seriously she was in california he was in connecticut mm -hmm. um and but he did mention that one time they went to cambridge um in their senior year but I, I, I think he might have gone to Cambridge before his senior year. Um, I don't know. The other, the, other, uh, the other thing that we were actually talking about, my second cousin and I were talking about, is um, Brad did drop out of Yale for a year. He took a year off. And he left Yale in May of 1957. And he came, he went back to Pasadena. And I was born in June of 1957. So, you know, I'm trying to connect those dots. Did he know? Um, my cousin said, this, this cousin said, well, you, if, if his parents knew about it, they kept it very, very, very quiet. Um, and uh, but she believed it was, you know, that 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 was possible. She said he was in Yale and then all of a sudden he's home mm -hmm. um, and then he went back. He went back and finished. Right. So, you know, whether there was a financial transaction that took place, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just speculating at that. You know, I'm just putting putting pieces together. What's what's amazing about this story, about your story, is that I think there's other, there's going to be, as Laura said, I think it's gonna, it's the first domino that's, well, I, th I think we're gonna hear more as this story develops. And I hope you'll keep you know, us updated. It'd be uh, great uh, to, you know. to know. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And what's next for you? Yeah, as I say, things develop. Let's see. <laughs> Um, well, book sales are doing pretty well. I, I, I kind of laugh because they keep sending them, they keep sending e-books e to Japan. So <laughs> I wow. guess, um, I guess they're, um, reading the story in English. Um, I am working with the Tamron Hall show. If, you know, Tamron Hall, the, she, yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah, they actually are looking at, uh, it's a show that, um, that will air, I think on Thursday because they're taping it Wednesday. Um, 
on long lost family secrets and the forgiveness that has come out of it. Uh, so they're, yeah, I think, perfect. focusing more yeah. on. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and, and before we so, finish up, and can you let it, our listeners know how they can find your book? You know what the the name of your book, so that we can. We'll post it obviously on our yeah, social. Yeah, we'll put media. up a, we'll put up a link. But and, then, uh, yeah, how can I would be get... more than happy. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, sure. Um, yeah, it's um, the the name of the book is "It's in My Genes." G E N E S. Um, there is another book by that title, so you have to look for the one with the really pretty cover. It was the uh, it was the publisher who designed the cover. I said, cover. Um, yeah. I don't. Or she said, our, I said to her, our double helix is really boring, and 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 then she shot back this cover to me. I said, Oh no, they're pretty. Um, but it's called "It's in My Jeans." It's available right now on Amazon, uh, in in ebook and paperback, and it's it's available through I think online through uh, Barnes and Noble. Uh, so and and there were a couple of little errors that snuck by myself and the um, and the editor, but they're being corrected. So. Um, oh, it's it, and it's really a good read. It, it's not it's not maudlin at all. It's very funny. I love the description <laughs> of your you know ado your adoptive family. It's really a pleasure. You're very funny. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. you're and, wonderful. You know, and oh well, thank you. You got to keep a sense of humor. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And yeah. we're going to post all the links uh, on our social media: Instagram, Twitter. Facebook, we have a great Facebook group and Thank love, you. love to read what uh, what we're reading and what we encourage them to Ab read. Absolutely. And just on a final note, too, I really think there is a lot of value that you can bring to the case. I don't I, I, I would say that this is the first break in a, in a very cold case for that's gone cold for 50 years. You have mm -hmm. half of this man's mm -hmm. DNA. I agree. And, and I think this is very valuable in terms of trying to figure out his his path from, you know, from, you from know, North Carolina, from yeah. North Carolina I, in 76. I so, don't think this is you know, the end of it. No, I don't think so either. Yeah. And we're, you know. So, yeah. Kathy, thank you so much for taking the time out. I know this was super loud. I mean, we thank you. Thank you for having night. me. You know. <laughs> We are obviously I'm a talker. When you said we wanted you to feel comfortable, I was like, "Oh, I can talk." Oh, from from reading from reading your book, I was like, "Oh, please, Laura!" Like you know, yeah. and we're all talkers. We can all like talk the pain off yeah. the wall. So we're. You know, I said, and of course, I love Boston. Boston. Yeah, yeah. love Boston. Wait, but my students used to say to me, <laughs> "Go ahead." Oh no, no! Has this turned you into a crime head? And and I, um, I just a wanna, little bit. I gotta say, okay, I gotta okay. say a little bit. Yeah. Yep. You've caught the crime bug. Yep. You know, and 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 your your roommate at BU was Gina Davis. Have, does Gina Davis know about <laughs> your your your? You know, I'm. Um, I haven't heard from her. We haven't talked in a while, in like twenty years. So, um, but I have. I mean, I've talked to her before. But I actually, somebody said to me, I'm surprised her publicist hasn't. They have software that picks up her name, but the funny thing is, is uh, a friend of mine just just uh, here in my neighborhood 
And I think she would laugh. But uh, here in my neighborhood said, I just have one question for you. I finished the book and was Gina Davis really your roommate? I said, would I have made that up? <laughs> I said, no, I said, but I can see her. She's like, after everything. But I thought, oh, what I need, what this book needs is a famous roommate. No, of course she was. I said, but, well, well, you know. But what I love is that you're, you're, you know, you discover that your dad is this infamous murderer. And that's the part that she goes to is like, you know, your, your roommate exactly. was really I, I said, why your on roommate her? was, was why Thelma on Louise? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Don't be surprised if you that have that. could be. Hi, Gina. Hi, Gina. The last time we talked was on was on a radio show. So there you go. Um, oh, yeah. Hi, Gina. <laughs> yes. Well, Kathy, so, what a pleasure. Thank you totally so much. Fun. We hope you'll come back and give yes. us an update. Well, thank you. It was great. We had a great time. Yes. Yes. The best I will. Again, I will. Well, now that yeah, we finally made contact, yeah. Yes. Yes. You take care. Murder. Murder. Murder.